Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. And also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. MallardBay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. I'm your host, Joe Baia, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory and Clint Flowers. Butch, today we're talking about how to hit more doves. How good are you? I'm not, I'm not very good in the dove field. Man, it's tough. I uh, last year was actually the first. Last fall was the first time that I'd shot dove in probably about twenty five years at least. Yeah. And uh, for about the first thirty or forty minutes, I was uh, profusely sweating and slinging a lot of lead, and uh, it was a lot of panic. There was a lot of fast flying birds, but once I got settled down and kind of got in the groove, I did all right. But yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a fun it's a fun bird to hunt, but they are tricky. I felt like they were shape shifting around my bullets until I figured out until yeah. I figured out the right uh cadence to get on them. How about yeah. you? Uh man, I uh I'm good at I'm good at shooting at them. I'll put it that yeah. way. Uh yeah. a lot of that just comes with just I just don't know how I'm missing, I feel like. You know, when I do miss, I'm like, I don't I don't know why I missed that one. That's why I'm looking forward to to today's show. We're gonna be talking with Jimmy Muller of Muller Chokes. Jimmy shoots all kind of stuff. And he's got some really good pointers for not only the the shooting technique and the practice you need to do, but also we're going to get into stand placement, shot placement. You know, leading a bird is 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 a lot a lot of art, not so much science. Well, as you and I know from doing a lot of these podcasts, fishing and hunting, you go to the expert. You and I do not hunt dove very often. So somebody that has shot thousands, uh, that's who I want to talk to about this topic. I'm real good at asking stupid questions. So uh, get ready. Jimmy, welcome back, man. Uh, It's been a lot of fun talking with you about how to kill more ducks, how to kill more turkeys, how to bust more clays. Of course, the South, uh, you know, when I start thinking late August, early September, I start thinking doves. Today, we're going to learn how to hit more doves, and this is somewhere where I think I need the most help. This has been the hardest uh, hardest thing for me to hit over the years of any of uh, the different birds that I've shot at is doves. Uh, a lot of days, I've just kind of thrown my hands up in the air and went, I suck. <laughs> so, They're quick. They're quick little fellows, for sure. How much time have you got behind the gun shooting doves? I've uh, I've shot quite a few. My brother lived in Rhode Island, so I used to go up and shoot a lot of doves in Rhode Island. And uh, never got a chance to go to Argentina yet, but I've uh, I've definitely put a hurt on a bunch of doves, and I, I actually shoot a lot of pigeons too. So, 
similar in ways, but also different. But, you know, it's uh, when you said they're small, fast little things, those were two actual key points of why people struggle with dove hunting, you know, and that plays into the the whole thing of what y'all want to probably talk about. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I want to talk about is just technique, shooting technique. I mean, I, you know, you want to get prepared. You want to go out to, you know, shoot clays or, or, you know, hit the range and do things right so that you can set yourself up to do well in the field. So from, in terms of other birds and shooting technique, how does dove hunting differ? Do you do anything different there? No. So, so I'll modify, you know, even like in clays where I'll shoot different methods for different targets. One of my favorite ways after shooting millions of targets and many thousands of birds is I've learned that pull away method for the most part is the best and most consistent, especially on a live bird because they're very unpredictable. Right. So especially when you talk about dove hunting, morning doves, white winged doves, pigeons, purdy, what all that. Basically, what's going to happen is you've got a bird that's small, somewhat small, right, compared to a duck or something. And routinely, they fly at a faster speed. So what we've got is we have speed and we have size. And anytime you're looking at something that's small, coming normally from a distance away, approaching you or or, you know, getting closer to you, which normal dove hunting, in my opinion, the birds are normally coming towards you, whether it be crossing or quartering in at you or actually coming right at you. Most dove hunting is not from overhead behind us, right? So you've got an approaching target that's small, that's faster than we think. And when we come up and and approach the target with the gun, it gains on us very quickly sometimes. And the other thing is they're closer than we normally think they are because they're small. Just like if you're at a reference to a target on a sporting clay course, right? A standard target is 110 or 108 millimeter diameter. And then you have a midi, which is 90 millimeter. And then you have a new 70 rocket, 70 millimeter. And then you have a mini, which is a 60 millimeter. Anytime that you're shooting a standard target, it's pretty easy to judge distance because not only is it the biggest target, but it's the most common target that we've got the most Kodak moments built into our brain, right? Our onboard computer, just as like somebody that hunts mostly mallards, they have that figured out, or they hunt mostly geese, they have that figured out. But when we go from duck hunting, goose hunting to dove, it's a totally different ball game when it comes to judging distance and speed. So like shooting a 90 millimeter target or 70 millimeter target versus a standard 108 or 110 or a rabbit target, they're always going to be closer than we think they are. And they're also going to be moving at different speeds than what we think they are. Sometimes they're moving faster than we think they are based on visual perception Sometimes it's the opposite. They're moving actually slower than what they look like because they're small. So there's a lot of things to learn visually before any type of the actual shooting or lead comes into play. So the pull away method, I think, is the best thing to use on this. And the reason for that is because you're acquiring the target, the bird, with the muzzle 
and you're moving with the target for a certain amount of time. And being connected with the bird for that little bit of time will actually, you'll feel the relationship between the muzzle of the gun and the bird before you start to generate the gap or the lead, the forward allowance. And when you start to feel the bird crossing or coming at you, you're going to feel the speed with the gun. You're going to feel the speed of the bird. And that's also going to correlate to the amount of forward allowance you need. And it's also, believe it or not, going to show you the distance the best way possible because of that relation you've gained with that pull away. So, so I like a pull away lead anytime it comes to a, a live bird, whether it be a duck, a goose, a dove, or whatever it is. And with dove hunting, I think it's very important to use this method. So the pull away method is the technique that we need to master to pull that into practice. Yes. We want to go hit the range and focus on practicing the pull away method. You were talking about different size targets. Is that something yes. that we need to think about if we're getting ready for dove season? I mean, or, or we, can we just practice with standard clays and do okay? Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I always have in my bag is a good range finder. And uh, I've gone through different brands. Uh, I've settled on a Vortex because it's just been very accurate and consistent. And I can actually raise um, range find birds in the air um, out to really far distances, you know. Wow. And it's a really great training aid, if nothing else, because birds that you think are, you know, 40 yards, you'll find out they're totally different, you know, or whatever range you figure. And um, it, it's a good training aid because you can actually range find clay targets um, very good. And when you start to look at a target that's at, let's say, 30 yards for a happy medium, right? Because we'll shoot a lot of doves in that 30-yard range. You'll be able to tell a 90-millimeter a 90 target versus a, a standard size target. And you'll start to correlate the doves as well. And what it's going to translate to is how much lead does it really require. Now, the other reason I like a pull-away lead that I didn't mention previously is doves like to sometimes not fly a straight line. And just like a teal, anybody that shot a lot of teal, we all know that, you know, even if they're flying nice and straight, which doesn't happen often, but if they are, the moment that they see you jump up or they or you pull a trigger on the first shot, you know, all heck breaks loose, right? They go straight up in the air. Um, they they do all sorts of crazy things. Well, dove are pretty much no different. Even though they don't fly straight up in the air, the moment you pull a trigger, things change quickly, right? So they're not flying a straight line that's predictable like a clay target. And this is why I feel pull away is also another beneficial, uh, another beneficial reason I like to use it because I'll go right to the bird, I'll pull away, I'll shoot, and if I miss, I go back to the bird again, I follow it, feel it, and then move away from it to where it's going. And if you're using this pull-away method, you're always going to feel where the bird's going. Even if it does something unpredictable, you're still pretty much connected to it. You're not going to be way off. Like if you're using swing-through method, the moment you swing through the bird and pass the bird, you no longer have any control to respond to the target. But same thing with a uh, 
uh, sustained lead, right? If you're sustaining the bird with four feet, six feet, eight feet, 20 feet of lead, if you're way out there in front of the bird and it makes some crazy move, you can't make that change in a, in a fraction of a second. You're going to end up pulling the trigger when you get to your proper lead. And the bird could be in a totally different line of sight at that point, and you could do nothing about it. It's basically a wasted shot. So if you constantly use that pull away where you go to the bird, move with it, move away from it to where it's going, and then make that shot, every single time you make another shot, you're going to be actually creating that connection every shot, whether it be first, second, or third. Going back like a pace car. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, (laughs) going back to, uh, to practice a little bit, how long do you think it takes? And I'm, I'm tracking with what you're saying regarding the pull away method, but how many, how much shooting do you think you need to do doing this to become proficient? And then what are the drills that you want to do specifically relating to dove hunting? Like, I mean, is sporting clay is going to translate well for this, or would you be better off to go shoot trap or something different? So sporting clays is always going to correlate to any hunting situation, the best out of all clay target sports, because there's so many different presentations and distances and speeds involved. So basically you could go onto a sporting clay course, a five stand, um, a fee task layout, and you could actually emulate like what dove hunting is going to be. For me, all the doves and, and pigeons I've shot in my lifetime or normally crossing or quartering in at me. Mm-hmm. Now, quartering in at me may be, you know, 80 degrees, but it all, may also be dead on coming right at me over my head. So you could basically practice everything from a driven target coming at an overhead or all the way to a 90 degree crosser. And if you can, you know, copy those types of presentations, and of course, you know, it never hurts to practice overhead out of towers and stuff, because that's a really great target to, to learn. Um, but dove hunting, in my opinion, is normally a crossing shot or a slightly quartering shot. Um, if you're setting up your blind properly, which I imagine we'll touch base on. So crossing shots are the hardest of all shots for any shotgunner, because you have line, which is height up and down. And then you've got 90 degree crossing is the hardest because it requires the most amount of lead and it requires the most accuracy, in my opinion. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it should work for pretty much every scenario. I'm just picturing being out in the dove field and yet not really over your head so much, but sometimes coming at you or quartering like you're saying and being able to, the way you're saying about the, the pull away method, if a if a dove is coming straight at you, it works the same way, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. And what's so really that's how cool you adjust to those those dove that are ducking and diving. You keep going back to the bird, pull away yes. again until you get the right. All right. And and, yeah. and let me let me add, add something to that. And so going back to what you were saying about the swing through method, the difference between the two is that with the pull away method, you're getting with the bird, tracking with the bird for a moment, then pulling away. Whereas that's the right. swing through is one fluid motion, gun to bird and swing through the bird and and fire and with these smaller birds that tend to duck dive dodge like doves do that's going to hinder you more than the pull away method yeah so so what i try to refer and i try to teach people is if you're using a swing through method 
you're only in the kill zone a fraction of a second because your gun is moving a different speed than the bird. And when you get to your, your so-called sight picture, you have to pull a trigger because your gun is moving faster than the target. So if you pull the trigger too soon, you shoot behind it. If you wait a little too long, you're going to shoot in front of it. And that's because your mu muzzle is moving faster than the target, right? So that's not optimal at all. It's optimal like Churchill method if you're shooting birds in a bush inside 20 yards because there's pretty much no lead anyway, right? right? So basically you just come from behind it and the moment you're like in front of it, just pull a trigger and it's probably going to die, right? Because there's almost no lead inside 25 yards. But if we're shooting an object, no matter what it is moving beyond 25, beyond 35, beyond 40, um, it becomes a different world, right? So what I always teach people is you need to kill a target with your eyes before the gun even does anything. The gun is just a tool to finish the job. So anything that I shoot, I focus on that target. The gun comes up. It follows the target. By the time all that has happened, I've already killed that target with my eyes. That bird's already dead. Now the gun comes into play. It follows the target. It moves with it to feel the line speed, moves ahead of it at one or two miles an hour faster. And when I get to the right gap, I'll actually sustain it there maybe sometimes and then pull a trigger. And the reason it's so important to do that is if you hit the bird, you can repeat it, right? With a live bird, that doesn't matter, but it does. Let's say you cripple it on the first shot, right? And it's still sort of flying or gliding. You need to hit it again. You know where you were, but you can also change your lead. So if you do everything right and you don't hit the bird, you got to decide that I miss behind it or in front of it. And because you've seen and felt where you were, you can change it. You can either shorten it, cut it in half, let's say, or you could double it for the next shot. So you're not missing, missing, missing all in the same exact spot like so many people do. Mm -hmm. So this is really important. So that's why I think pull away on any live bird is the best. Well, you mentioned it. Let's talk about shot placement a little bit. I remember from past interviews we've done with you that, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you, you almost never shoot in front of a bird it, 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 for the most part. So I'm always going to be assuming I'm missing behind the bird. Where I always struggle is, you know, if you're in the, if you're in the field and you've got a dove that comes across and you pull up to that bird, track with that bird, get in front of that bird, take the shot, miss... Well, okay, I'm assuming I'm behind him. The next bird may or may not take that same track. You know, then I'm kind of like, all right, one quarter's at me. Uh, and then one crosses to the other side. And I always feel like, man, how far do I need to lead it? I don't know where to start. So relating that back to, you know, practice, uh, and then we can talk about maybe the in the field. Do you have a rule of thumb to help people start to get a gauge for, you know, how far in front of that bird you need to be. I have learned over the years and have watched some videos that you sent me of you shooting that, man, I'm just not leading these birds near far enough. Same. Yeah. So, so I do have a method that's very fun to do and it's very educational for yourself and it will make you a much better shooter very quickly. So, so obviously in a field, it's hard to do, right? Cause we don't, unless we're in Argentina and, you know, Mexico, Texas, we don't have a lot of opportunity to experiment on live birds, right? Um, sometimes we do, but we have opportunities with clay targets. And clay targets translate directly to a moving target, whether it's a dove, a duck, a goose, whatever, right? 
So that's why I always encourage people to get out there and shoot clay targets, especially sporting clays. Here's what you do. And if this is a live bird in the field, the dove, um, you can apply this for yourself um, and you can practice it on the sporting clay field. So let's say you have a dove coming by you at 90 degrees crossing. You've never made this shot. It's a little closer. It's a little further than you normally like or that you're good at. All right. We all have sweet spots that we know we can hit. We also have spots where we're not comfortable with or confident with. And sure. The reason we're not confident with is we haven't done it enough. We don't have enough Kodak moments on it. And a lot of times because of that, we don't pull a trigger. And if we don't pull a trigger, we're never going to learn. All right. We can't always shoot what we're comfortable with, because if we do, we will never get better. Right. It's not fair to us. It's not fair to the game. So I, I always encourage people to learn by pulling the trigger and what you do, let's say you got a bird coming by at 30 yards, right? And it's faster than we're used to, but I'm going to take the shot because it's within my range. Well, what I'll do is I will take the lead that I think it's supposed to be. And I will start out on my first shot because let's assume we have three shots. Okay. Just for argument's sake, we have a pump or we have a semi-auto Let's assume we have three shots and this bird is in open sky cutting across. We certainly have plenty of time to fire three shots, right? So my first shot, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the lead in half of what I think it should be. Because if I miss, I know I'm behind with undoubtedly I'm behind. My next shot, I'm going to double my lead. What I mean by double is theoretically, if you're shooting a proper choke constriction and the proper pattern at the distances you intend to hunt at when we miss let's say at 30 yards we missed by a minimum of two feet and probably closer to three because you got to remember the effective pattern at that distance should be a minimum of 24 inches to 32 inches so if we miss we've missed by the size of the bird plus the pattern which is we'll call it two feet for even numbers right so if I miss, I miss by two feet minimum. My next shot, I have to increase my lead by at least two feet to make a change. So my next shot is going to be two feet more, which is probably double what I shot the first lead, right? If I miss again, I'm going to double that. So now I'm going to be, I started at, let's say, a foot or two. The next shot's going to be four feet. If I missed, I'm going to be at six feet. So it's going to be like two, four, six. And if I didn't hit him with any of those shots, I'm not going to scratch my head much because I'm going to be pretty much guaranteed it was probably eight feet or more, right? So these are the things that can open your eyes really quick to gaining knowledge in your shooting. And this is the other reason I think it's really important to match the speed of the target with the speed of the muzzle when the trigger's being pulled. And the reason for that is, like I said, you can see about how much it is and feel how much it is so you can change it or repeat it. So that's, that's a process I go through two feet, four feet, six feet, didn't break. Well, I got to go eight feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, you know, and remember the further we get out, the bigger that effective pattern becomes. So if I'm giving it eight feet of lead and I'm not breaking it, I'm probably needing 12 feet, not 10 feet. So these are things that we can do. Jimmy, you sent us some videos of you shooting ducks and some shot cam videos. And I was amazed at some of the leads that you were using. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
do eye opening like, for sure. Do you, do you feel like that's an effective training tool? Like, is that something you would would benefit from using on on uh, a clay's course to get a feel for like, okay, I, I, you know, I hit that one. Where was I? What do you how do you what do you think about the shot cam? So I'm not sponsored by them or anything else, but I own six shot cams, all generation, well, all generation four. Um, because every time they came out with a new one, I would swap it out and pay them the difference, or I would just buy a new one um, just so I could have all the new latest and greatest high-def lens and all the new upgrades that they they give. I have six of them because I have them on my 410, 28, 2012, and 10 gauge. They don't come off my gun. Yeah. I shoot sporting clay competition with it. I just had a big competition not too long ago called the Crucible. Um, it's called a crucible because they throw extremely hard targets that are on the edge of being stupid hard, right? Targets that people don't even know how to hit, you know, lots of goose eggs on the scorecard. Um, but, but you take really, really good masterclass shooters and they're shooting in 60s out of 100. Oh, wow. So they're really, really hard targets. And it's a shoot that I never, ever want to miss. It's once a year. I love shooting those targets because you're really, really putting yourself outside of any comfort zone, shooting targets that you would never normally shoot on any competition, not on a world championship platform, nationals, U.S. Open. And what it does is it really teaches you things that you would never have seen before, right? And if you're a really good accomplished shooter, you're going to learn a lot because you know what a 20 or 30 or 40 foot lead is where most people don't know what six feet is. Right. And basically it's important to learn these things because if you can learn how to hit something with 10 or 20 feet of lead, well, what's going to happen is all your normal shooting inside, let's say 35 yards is going to become really easy. Right. Whereas before it was very difficult for us. We, we basically take these steps and these plateaus and we keep breaking through them by doing this. So the shot cam, I will review it every time I come home. First thing I do, come home, clean the gun, put the shot cam on my computer, sit down and go through every single target. And the reason I do this is I don't hit every one, right? So like this crucible shoot I just competed in, I ended up winning a high overall champion. I shot an 80. Next highest score was a 64. So wow. I, I really shot amazingly well, right? And to break 80 out of 100 on those targets was pretty crazy. But even though I felt like, oh, I should have shot an 85, you know, there's five <laughs> targets I should never have missed, but there were probably 10 I probably should never have hit. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So, so it kind of works out. So, exactly. But I couldn't wait to get home and look at my shot cam because there were targets there that I shot. I thought that maybe I gave him 10 or 12 feet of lead when I was actually shooting that target. And upon viewing the shot cam, I was giving them like 20 or 30, you know, it wow. was just, it was wow. just crazy. Like the targets like over here, you know, and, and my barrels like yeah. <laughs> almost off the screen. And it was pretty amazing to see that, you know, your brain calculates all that out through experience. Yeah. You, you, know? so to, like you got to shoot a lot. To I, get I thought to that it point. was a lot easier for me than it actually was, but because of experience, I knew where to go, but it was amazing to see on camera. Like, wow, I was really that far. And, you know, or I was way below that target a lot more than I thought it needed, you know, or whatever. And that shot cam shows you things you would never, ever have seen before. And the coolest thing about it 
is it shows what you're doing with the muzzle of the gun at all times. So it shows you what you're doing with it before you even mount the gun. It shows what you're doing with it when the bird is coming. It shows what you're doing while you're making the shot, after you pull a trigger, after the bird dies. I mean, it shows you everything you're doing and it exposes all of the things you're doing right and wrong. So you can improve on it or, or, or keep doing the things you're doing right. But you will most definitely see some of the sloppy crap you're really doing with that muzzle, man. And it's like, wow, I had no freaking idea I was doing that. I've got to stop that. Yeah. So it makes you a much better shooter way quicker than anything else ever could. I heard you talking about those Kodak moments, and I'm sure that's just it's doubling that, you know, because if you got it, you had it in the field and then you go back home, you review it again. It's another imprint in your mind. Talking about, um, you know, we've been talking about practice. We've been talking about technique. uh, Now let's talk about some things that happen in the field. Stand selection is kind of the first thing I want to I want to get into. You know, you want to set yourself up like you were saying, everybody's got their comfort zone. And so you want to try to set yourself up to play to your strengths, if possible, would be my thinking. How do you decide where you want to position a, a stand? Do you look for certain terrain features, water sources? I mean, I'm I'm personally, I'm going to set up near the power line, you know, wait for them to land. But uh, <laughs> what are you what are you thinking about in terms of uh, stand selection? So, you know, just like duck hunting, right? I want the sun at my back. I want the wind at my back. But, you know, with dove hunting, it's it's all about food source, water source, or, you know, it's like deer, right? Where are they bedding? Where are they going to feed? Turkey, same thing. So where are the doves? You know, I'll be scouting for days, right? Seeing what the flight, flight path is, what time of day, based on what wind and sun and cloud coverage and all that, right? So ultimately, if there's going to be any light, I want it at my back so I could see the bird very well, um, which not only helps me identify, but also helps me read depth perception and speed. Obviously, if it's twilight or if the lighting's not good or if the sun's in my eyes, I cannot tell speed or distance very well, right? So I want to ultimately have the light at my back. I want to have the wind in my back. Um, Sometimes with dove hunting, I like to have the wind in my face because it brings them closer to where I'm setting up. And um, if I if I see a line where birds are flying sort of far or farther than it from a tree line or a bale of hay or something I'm going to set up at for coverage, if I feel that the birds are flying further than I'm really happy with, I'll actually set up so the wind's in my face, not at my back, to bring them closer to where I am. Even if I got to deal with a little bit of light in my face, because let's face it, I know I'm shooting doves. I don't have to identify a drake widgeon from an immature widgeon. It's That's a dove. Right. So I'm going to shoot the dove, and I, I can tell based on silhouette and wing beat that it's a dove, right? Um, tail, all that fun stuff. So I'm not going to worry, be worried about, oh, I just shot a crow in the dove field or I shot a, a hawk, right? I know it's a dove. So I don't care much about the sun being a little in my eyes. A lot of times I'll play the wind more than the light. So this all depends on how I want to do it. If it's a very windy day, I'll set up in a spot where they're flying into the wind more so it slows them down a little bit, you know, whatever have you. And I just sent uh, Joe and Butch a fun exchange with a new dove hunter the other day, and he was just trying to pick out his clothes, much less his choke and his shells and everything else. 
yeah. had a little had a little fun with him before I started uh, trying to really help him. But I kind of tried to educate him on the the fly the other day about you know high brass, low brass, what he needs, what he doesn't need, what's too much. I mean, is there what's the real difference out there now in in shales for dove hunting? So when it comes to to shells and ammo and ballistics and patterns and gauges and all that fun stuff for doves. I basically try to teach people doves do not take a lot of pellets to penetrate and kill a bird cleanly. It's uh, different than like a pigeon. Pigeons somehow have a bulletproof vest on sometimes. But doves don't need a lot to take them down. And anytime you have a small target, whether it's a clay target, a, a live bird, um, you need a lot of pellets on target to hit a vital. So I always try to teach people the smaller the shot, the better. As long as it's going to have enough energy to penetrate through the feathers, the fat, the skin, the meat into the vitals. Again, if you're shooting a lot of pellets in a, in a swarm of BBs, chances are you're going to hit them in the head, the neck, the vitals, the wings, whatever. So when I'm dove hunting, even if I'm shooting doves at really far extended distances, um, I'm never going to shoot anything bigger than a six for a dove. And the only time I'm going to shoot a six at a dove, if I'm shooting beyond 40 yards, you know, obviously we don't know sometimes if we're going to be shooting at 10 yards or 60, right? But normally you do. You, if you're putting your time in, you're, you're scouting or you're going to a field where you know where they're feeding. I mean, you know, whether you're going to be shooting at 20 yards or 60, right? Even right. if you're in Argentina, you know, you can shoot them at five yards or you shoot them at 150. So it all depends on what you want to take the shot at. So you need to gauge number one, just like choke, gauge, pellet material, shot, charge, meaning how many ounces a shot, um, all that stuff, velocity. How far am I going to be shooting? That's your number one thing you need to figure out. So if I'm going to be shooting doves at normal distances, which in my opinion is always inside 40 yards, because for most people, a 40-yard target on a dove is a pretty far shot because it's so small, right? Mm -hmm. So 40 yards, let's say, is my maximum. I can kill a dove 100 out of 100. Not, I'm not going to hit 100 and 100. But 100 kills in a row, I will do with a 7.5, lead 7.5, bismuth 5s, you know, all day long. So... I don't need to be shooting fives or fours and I never want to shoot shot that big at a dove because you don't have a lot of pellets in the shell to fill in the voids in a pattern. You know, if we're shooting inside 25 yards, it doesn't matter what shot size you're shooting. If you're on them, it's going to die. Right. But if you're shooting doves at normal distances, a number eight, seven and a half is normally ultimate. And then a six is also very common because if we are shooting them a little further out, a six is definitely going to penetrate through the bird at 40 yards. Timmy, are there any brands or, or types that you favor? I, I know we've talked about this uh, with duck hunting. With doves, it seems like people just go for the cheapest, you know, shells around, whatever they can get the, you know, the most for the cheapest. But I mean, if there's one thing I've learned about shooting period uh really you a lot of times you're handicapping yourself by going with cheap ammunition you can have a, a nice gun be a good shooter but you know it's kind of like putting unleaded gasoline in a in a jet you know <laughs> like why why cheap out when you're when you're that close to having everything you need but 
does that really apply to doves? Can you get away with just, you know, bottom of the barrel shot shells? So I'm tongue in cheek sort of, of when it comes to that. But the fact is with any bird, especially doves, you can get away with less expensive ammo. That's lower quality. And the only reason ammo is cheaper is because it's normally lower co- quality components. Like the shot is cheaper, you know, maybe not high antimony. They use a cheaper wad, um, powder meaningless because all powder is dirt cheap, right? So powder is not a concern in a shot shelf from a manufacturer when it comes to cost. They'll market their powder, but really it's not even a cost of concern for any manufacturer. So basically wad is pretty important, sometimes critically important. The shot is fairly important, sometimes critically important. I mean, and everything else is out of our control, right? Six six point crimp, eight point crimp, wad thickness, tapered hull. I mean, you know, yada, yada primer. We could go through all that. Low brass, high brass, meaningless. Um, basically, high brass, low brass back in the day was a marketing tool to sell magnum shot shells and game loads, make more money on it for the manufacturer. It means nothing. Um, sometimes low brass shells will actually cycle better in older guns than high brass shells will due to less... Uh, area of expansion in the chamber. Um, but basically when it comes to dove, any type of game ammo, dove and quail target loads are all going to work fine because we're normally shooting inside a certain distance, right? So what I always tell everybody, if you're shooting inside 25 yards, you don't need to spend a lot of money on a high expensive ammo because it's not going to make enough difference for you to be concerned about. If you're shooting past 40 yards, and I like to use 40 yards as sort of the holy grail, because the moment you reach that 40-yard line and you go beyond it, things become very different because of physics, right? So air resistance, everything. This is where your gun selection, your gauge selection, your ammo selection, your choke selection becomes not only important, but like a new universe, you know? Yeah, between 30 and 40, it's also very important. But beyond 40, it's it's another world. It becomes critically important of what you choose. So that's the way I look at it. If I'm shooting inside 25 yards, I don't really care because it doesn't really matter. What will matter is if you're shooting extremely high velocity inside 25 yards versus slow velocity because you're going to see a difference in lead. Okay. But beyond that 25-yard mark, you're not going to see enough difference in lead to even make a difference. So, so the velocity thing goes out the window. Other than you don't want to shoot high velocity because it slows down faster. It opens up prematurely. You're not getting a lot of pellets to the target past certain distance. So the slower you go, the better you are. And then, of course, choke and ballistics. Obviously, we talk about that for days. But uh, yeah. But always when it comes to ammunition, I'm a big, big advocate of the slower, the better, because it's more consistent, more even. Um, The further it is, the better it is to start out slow than fast. Total opposite of what people believe in because of hype, you know, false marketing and and marketing hype over the years in the benefit of the ammo companies, not the end user. So um, we I think we've spoken about that in the past. But 1145 to 1200 feet per second, golden window right there um, with any shot material. And uh, 
the moment you get over the 1200 1250 things start to change pretty drastically 1350 things are still okay the moment you break that line at 1350 and you start to go beyond that things can get really ugly really fast and they do so velocity is not your friend you know the birds like it because you don't hit them but velocity is <laughs> not your friend ammo companies charge you more for no reason um, they take the most expensive component out of shot shells, which is the shot. They put more of the cheapest component, in, which is the powder. They tell you hypervelocity kills, speed kills. They laugh all the way to the bank, and you're scratching your head, wondering why your shoulder or neck hurt, and you didn't kill anything. So, not cool. Been there, done that for sure. Yep. So you mentioned that, a little bit there as far as choke selection. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you see when people pick a choke for their dove hunting experiences? So dove hunting, like we talked about, it's a small target. It's usually closer than we think it is. Most people are over choking. They're shooting way too tight of a pattern. They're missing a lot because of it, because they don't have any margin of error. Sort of like turkey hunters, right? Through marketing over the years of chokes and ammo and guns, we've gotten into the habit of listening to tighter is better, tighter, tighter, tighter. We don't think about blowing patterns. We don't think about how it's hurting us, just missing things. You know, like, like, let's not look at the pattern. Let's look at the target for once, right? So, like, do we want to shoot at a golf ball or do we want to shoot at a garbage can lid? We want to shoot a garbage can lid going through the sky, right? So, reverse that. Now, let's look at the garbage can and the golf ball being the shot pattern, not the target. Would we rather have a garbage can lid going at the target or do we want a golf ball going at the target? Yeah. It's pretty obvious what we want, right? Because it's a moving target, we want a big margin of error. The biggest we could possibly have is humanly possible, right? We're human beings. We want, at a moving target, the reason we shoot a shotgun is not because it's a shotgun. It's because we want a huge margin of error. Biggest yeah, possible margin of error is possible, right? I want, I want if, a cast net. That's what I need. Yeah. If we didn't want that, what would we be doing? We'd be shooting a pelican at everything, right? Right. Which I really do a lot of practicing with, by the way. I do shoot at birds flying with a pelican. So I've been doing it since 1974, since I was five years old. So what it does is it makes you a better shooter, right? The yeah. reason it does is because it's a single projectile. You've got to be right on to hit your target, right? So with a shotgun, we don't need to be right on to hit the target because if we did, nobody would hunt. <laughs> <laughs> right everybody take up something else so yeah. so we want a big margin of error because we're you we're shooting at a moving target the reason we use a shotgun is it's a scatter gun right we want a margin of error so this all comes back to choke selection pattern selection gauge selection shotgun selection board diameter selection yada 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 it goes into a huge dumpster of worms right so this is why I got into create my own chokes back in 93 because of all of this. So this is the thing that I've become passionate about talking about because people don't really know we've lost, we've sort of lost the aspect of shotgunning. Like, you know, oh, trap shooters, like shoot any choke you want as long as it's full and full. No, that was true in the fifties, not anymore. And the same thing happened with dove hunters because we've gotten into the mindset of, well, they're far, they're fast, they're small. We need to shoot a really tight choke. You know, like somebody had asked, you know, hey, let's shoot an extra full choke. The only time I would shoot extra full choke at a dove is if I was in Argentina 
shooting TSS. And I wanted to play around shooting doves past a hundred yards. Yes. Wow. Then I'm going to shoot my UFO. I'm going to shoot TSS sevens and I'm going to fold, I'm going to fold doves at 125, 150 yards, just to do it and learn it, you know, but you don't shoot an extra full choke. Yeah. You don't shoot an extra full choke at doves because nobody's going to shoot them at the distance that that choke is required at. So all you're doing is you're hurting yourself by missing a lot of birds. You're handicapping yourself. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. This segment was brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. And also by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors, and they can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. So, Jimmy, why can't I go to Clint, you know, and Clint's having a good day, and I'm having a bad day, and just say, hey, man, obviously it can't be my technique. I'm using the pull-away method, and, uh, you know, I've been practicing out on the range. What choke are you using? Why can't I just ask Clint what choke he's using, put put my version of that in my gun, and, and go to and start hitting doves? Yeah, Clint, what would you say about that? I mean, look at him. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a reason this show's not on video. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. That was a softball. You know, I I think that not every gun shoots the same. I mean, it, even if it is the same pattern choke, and I'm speaking way out of turn here because I've been I've been known to bounce around the box of chokes all day long and try to find any. Excuse That's right. I can we find. we all did, man. I've shot everyone there. But uh, I mean, I I was gonna kind of drift back to I don't want to take away from Joe's question, but also the the you know what you thought the perfect amount of shot was as well because you mentioned earlier about how the high brass takes shot out or places with more powder we don't need so i think all those things kind of balance together so what do you think so i think you know the reason that a lot of people end up being misled or using the wrong thing and they don't even know it right because if our shooting coaches our mentors our videos that are out there the books we read our buddies, they all tell us what they're doing or they all tell us what we should be doing. The problem is what they tell us we should be doing is obsolete information that has been spewed forward from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, even back as long as like when Annie Oakley was shooting in the 1900s and and ending like in the 20, 1922, right? So we still look at those things all the way back to glass ball days with Annie Oakley, all the way to Bob Brister's information in 1976 and, you know, some other other people. So what happened was there have been huge 
improvements on ballistics since then, since the 80s, since the 90s. Every year we gain we gain margin of error if it's available to us to, to have at our disposal. But the problem is we tend to not benefit from it because we don't know what's right. So like what we do is we go with tight, tight chokes. We go with the wrong ammunition and it hinders us, but we don't know it's hindering us because we're listening to everybody else that doesn't know. Right. So basically what I like to do with dove hunting is I'll normally shoot like for me, I'll be using my decoy choke normally or my U2. My U2 is sort of like a light modified choke and it's going to be a nice happy medium. If they're close, I'm going to hit them. If they're far, I'm still going to kill them cleanly, right? Because I know exactly what my patterns are in every gun through with every ammo because I've done the work. But for somebody that doesn't know and, and, I don't expect them to know, but that's the reason that I do the, the constriction designations on my chokes, unlike what's out there, the traditional, right? So I'm going to use something that's sort of like an improved cylinder or like my decoy choke or my U2 for dove hunting. Um, if I know the doves are going to be flying sort of closer, normal out to 35, I'll use my U1 even. But getting back to the whole perception of what people think, most people, and when I say most, I would be pretty comfortable saying 90% of hunters are over choking when they're dove hunting. You really don't need much tighter than an improved cylinder normally, if it's patterning like an improved cylinder, which I have to say, because some improved cylinders will pattern like a full, some improved cylinders will pattern like a, a cylinder. Uh, but what I'm saying is if the choke tube is giving you the proper pattern, there's nothing saying you need anything more than an improved cylinder um, or a skeet for dove hunting because you're shooting a number six or a number seven and a half or a number eight. And that's a huge amount of pellets in a 36 inch circle on a dove that's inside 35 yards. So Jimmy, if, if Clint's got an improved cylinder in and he's shooting a, you know, a Browning auto five and I come out there with a Browning Satori and, and I throw an improved cylinder in there, why isn't our pattern going to be the same? Yeah, so that's a great point that you bring up. So so one thing that I've learned over the years doing all the research is every single gun shoots very different, right? What I mean by that is with no choke in it at all. So if you take like a, a Beretta mobile choke gun or Benelli Standard, even some of their Cryo Plus guns, sometimes they have a bore diameter as tight as 719 you know, 719 thousandths of an inch bore diameter, which is basically the pipe, right? It's a barrel. So your shot comes out of the chamber, down the forcing cone, if your gun has a forcing cone, and it goes into your taper, I mean, it, into the bore diameter of your barrel. And that is just a straight pipe going out to the end of your gun. If it's 720 versus, let's say, a Browning that's 745, or even a Mossberg A35-935 Ultimag that has a 10-gauge bore, which measures 777. Um, if you do quick math, let's say 775 Mossberg down to a 720 um, of the others, you're talking 50 thousandths of an inch constriction difference before you even put a choke in the gun. Now, obviously, just quick reference, 50 thousandths, 
is way more than an extra full, right? Extra full is normally considered 35 to 40 thousandths, right? And everybody calls it different things these days. But full choke is 30 thousandths of an inch from the bore of the shotgun barrel. So 35 is extra full, 40 is double extra full, and so on. So if you have a Benelli or a Beretta with a mobile choke gun, you're shooting a very tight pattern before you even put a choke in the gun. You take a Browning out there with a 745 bore, you're shooting a much bigger pattern. So getting back to your answer in thousands of an inch constriction or improved cylinder, let's say, if you have that mobile choke gun, improved cylinders, 10 thousands, right? So you start with 720, you put 10 thousandths in it, it's 710 exit diameter. If you take 745 and you put 10 thousandths in it, it's only 735. So now you've got 735 exit diameter versus 710. You can't tell me it's gonna be the same thing, right? Right. So how can you put all these same choke tubes in these guns and tell me it's the same thing? An improved cylinder 10 thousandths is not an improved cylinder in every gun. And you throw into the fact which people don't need to know, I do because I make chokes, right? You don't need to know that the taper length of a choke is way more important than the exit diameter in thousands of an inch constriction for a particular gun it's in. You don't need to know that. You shouldn't have to know it. It's not your job to know it, but it's my job to know it. And that's what I've learned over the years of millions of rounds and thousands of birds and you know patterns on paper, water, mud, you name it. So I've learned that, yes, the geometry inside a choke is way more important than just the exit diameter and thousands of an inch constriction. So yes, the answer is you can't just put an improved cylinder into your gun and their gun and think that it's going to give you the same results at 40 or 30 yards because it's not, regardless of what the ammo is. You know, same ammo in both guns, same choke in both guns, two totally different bore diameter guns, length and polish forcing cone, no forcing cone. This all matters tremendously in ballistics at the end of that you know, where that target is. So it's a much bigger, bigger dumpster of worms than we think it is. But because <laughs> sure. we can't know everything, we have to go off of something. And the reason that I created the constriction designations I did, meaning like U0, U1, 2, 3, and 4, or um, decoy passing UFO, the reason that I didn't emulate or copy all of the old traditional style constrictions, skeet, you know, cylinder, skeet, light mod, mod, full, extra full. The reason I didn't do that is I learned a long time ago, and even up to today, I just tested some new chokes that came out with some new ammos just last week. They do not pattern the way they're marked. So if it doesn't pattern the way it's marked, why would I do that to you? I wouldn't. So the reason that I chose not to call mine improved cylinder modified full is because I would say 80% of chokes on the market don't pattern the way that they're, they're designated. So why would I mislead you by doing the same thing? I wouldn't because I'm a hunter, right? I'm a shooter. I'm a master class target competitor. I would not mislead you on purpose because I don't care. I care. So I took all the homework out of it. I created the patterns for every single gun based on changing the geometries in every choke for that gun until I got the most even lowest shot to shot deviation that gun could create with every ammo on the market. I drew the blueprint for the choke for that gun, created it, moved to the next gun, started all over.
So when you get Mueller chokes, you know that what the designation is on the choke, it's going to be the closest thing you can ever get to what it actually is supposed to be. So that that's why I went through what I did. And it's why I designate my chokes the way I do. So, Jimmy, just listen, you say that recapping, if Butch is shooting a Benelli Montefeltro and Clint's shooting a Browning Satori and they both grab a decoy or they both grab a U1 Muller, that pattern is going to be similar out of each gun because you've specifically tested every single gun that is manufactured in mass on the market to make sure that this would happen. I mean, because that's been always been my hang up with pattern testing with anything. You know, it's for me, it started with turkeys, but you know, you really, if you're going to shoot anything with a shotgun, you need to understand how your pattern, how your pattern unfolds as it moves throughout the air to be able to figure that out for your gun means you've got to buy how many chokes and then shoot them with how many different types of, of shells. How long did it take you to do that and figure all that out? I'm still doing it to this day. Like I said, some new ammo just hit the market. Some new chokes just hit the market. I bought them all. I went out and I shot about a thousand rounds. Wow. But when I was developing my chokes back in 93, it started in 93. And for two and a half years, I went to the ranges five days a week minimum. And I shot over 12,000 rounds through 22 different guns with 13 bore diameters using every ammo on the market. And when I say every ammo on the market, I used ammo that I have in my possession from when my brother worked at Remington back in the 60s, you know, the old Remington Peters and Winchester Super X. And I mean, I I even used actives, you know, so back in the active day, best ammo, awesome, you know, rust proof. But, um, but you know, I've used everything to do the testing and, and the R&D and the patterning. And I learned a tremendous amount, you know, like, like just go just to say not to get off subject, but this, this correlates to dove hunting, right? So when I said that, if you talk to any seasoned trap shooter, that's older, they will tell you, shoot any choke you want, as long as it's full and full. And that's from the 16 yard line singles, right? Well, the reason for that is if you take the old model 12s and the old model 51 Remingtons and the 31s and the and all those old guns that had fixed full choke barrels. And you take the ammo from back then and you go on a 16 yard line and you shoot at a trap target at about what translates, depending on how fast you shoot, let's call it 32 yards, right? 35 yards. If you pattern those combinations, you're gonna get a full choke pattern, which is 70% of your pellets in a 30 inch circle of 40 yards. You need that to consistently break a domey trap target at that distance. These days, any good improved cylinder light modified choke will give you better pellet percentages with today's ammo than those full chokes did back then. But the people don't know that because they don't test everything. So they just spew this old obsolete information forward. And all we do is get hurt because of it, because we don't know better, because we think that listening to that stuff is is honest so we we take it to heart because we feel like we should well it hurts us because we don't know what it's really given us and these are the things that drove me crazy and this is what forced me to buy and uh, making my own chokes back then because i had to buy 10 modified chokes from the biggest choke manufacturer in the country 
to get two to pattern right. And they all measured 20 thousandths from my bore. But what I learned quickly was that if they all measure 20 thousandths from my bore and I'm getting from skeet to full choke patterns, why is that? And it was because of the geometry inside the choke that created the patterns, not the exit diameter. So that took it from a can of worms to a dumpster of worms like overnight. And I mean, these are things that we could talk days and days about. It doesn't really mean much to a lot of people. But what I the reason I bring it up is because I try to explain to people why what I'm teaching is accurate. And what I'm trying to teach is to help people because we have no idea how bad it is. And we don't realize how far off course we are with our selections of ammo and choke choice and even gun choice. You know, it all it all equates into success or failure when it comes to pulling the trigger on the bird of a lifetime. Well, and like you said, Jimmy, you know, a lot of stuff that's being pushed forward, it's not necessarily even being done maliciously. It's this is what we've always heard. This is what we've always been told. And so that's what we push on to the next generation of shooters. And the fact that you've gone through and done this work is huge because no, no person, no individual can do that. I mean, it's, it's financially pretty much impossible. Time-wise pretty much impossible. You've made that investment and that's why your chokes are being used by some of the best shooters in the world. And, uh, it's why it works. And, and the other thing is, I know you've, you've talked about this before. If somebody has a problem with their choke, I mean, you've got basically a money back guarantee, right? And you'll get them into the right choke. Yeah. All of, uh, all of Muller chokes come with a 60 day money back guarantee. And, and I tell people that goes from the moment they pull a trigger. So if you buy it in in August and you don't start to use it till December, your 60 days starts from when you start to use it. And then uh, in that 60 days, if you don't think it's the best in the world, I will simply give you your money back. Also in that 60 days, I do a free constriction exchange. If you use it, you want something more open or tighter, I'll swap it for free, no cost to you. That way you're never stuck with anything you buy from me. Um, and then after that, they have a full lifetime replacement warranty. And that warranty is even if you damage it by accident. So if you run it over with a tow motor and flatten it, I'll give you a new one. So as the hunter, as the shooter, like I said, I had shot every choke in the world, right? Um, literally. And I've shot pretty much every gun that's made along with the ammo. And some of these companies that I've been sponsored by in the past, because like I said, I'm a masterclass shooter in sporting, right? And whether I was sponsored or not, one thing I realized quickly that was happening to me and also everybody else was the customer service wasn't there for us. Like, we would buy a choke tube and it wouldn't pattern anything like what it was marked. And I would go back and they're like, you bought it, you owned it, kid. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I just spent 65 bucks on this choke. It's marked modified and it shoots a, a ski pattern with like the best ammo in the world. And they're like, well, that's not my problem, you know? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's not your problem. They're like, well, you bought it. And I'm like, yes, but it's your product and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And they're like, buy a different one. I'm like, okay. So, but, and this was pretty consistent. You know, I would never name names, but it was pretty consistent across the industry when it came to chokes and ammo. And I was just so disgusted as a competitor. Like I went to shop and made my own. And then when I made my own, the reason I made my own, like I had mentioned, measuring the geometries, this is when I realized how critical geometry was for the choke 
for the gun it was in. And then, of course, the ammo choice, right, came into play with all of that. And then, I mean, it just kept going and going and going. And I just, it became like exhausting, but exciting because every time I would try something different, I would not only learn something, but it would bring me to another level of how to test and how to learn things and how could I prove that and disprove that and figure this out. And I ended up doing things that nobody's probably ever done to this day. And not only that, but I also have tried every crazy geometry inside a choke. People think people that things that people have probably never even considered doing to try to find magic. Right. And, um, I did find it, which is what I created. But in the interim, the things that I did is just crazy. And uh, it was all stuff that didn't work (laughs) when it came down to it. And, you know, a lot of those chokes these days, they have things that are similar to it and they swear by it and they think that, you know, it's going to benefit you. It doesn't. It actually disrupts worse than it helps. And um, I smile when I see it, but everybody's got to do their thing and make their money. Right. And I'm, I'm a good advocate of that. I want people to make a living, but uh, a lot of stuff that's out there is marketing hype. It doesn't work. We think it does because we want it to because our buddy or we told our buddies that it works and we don't want to look funny. Right. So yeah, we swear by it because it's what I think works. Well, Jimmy, you've given us a bunch of great tips today to make us, you know, hopefully hit more doves this season when we get out there, you know, like, like we've talked about past shows and this show's been no different. If you want to shoot better, you need to get to the patterning board. You need to test your choke that you're shooting and see how it is shooting in your gun. But if folks want to go check out Muller Chokes, what's your website? How can they get more information and and really try to get set up with, with a Muller Choke if they want to? So it's, uh, it's Muller Chokes, M-U-L-L-E-R-C-H-O-K-E-S, MullerChokes.com. Um, that's our website. We've got a huge following on Facebook. Um, we've got a little bit of stuff on Instagram and Twitter and all that. But um, basically, Facebook is is definitely a great place to go and see what people are saying. Um, but the website, you get it there. And uh, also on our website, we have um, the email, which is info at MullerChokes.com. And we also have our phone numbers on there. So you could actually call my staff and talk to somebody. And uh, when you call our, our phone number, Devin will answer the phone. Um, you will speak to somebody. If he doesn't answer, it's because he's on the other line. Um, but he will, will call you back. And if he cannot answer your question, he will send you directly to me, and I will be answering your question personally. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to have to do duck hunting here pretty soon. So y'all stay tuned. That's right. Enjoyed it. Got it. Looking forward to it. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops, because sometimes natural resources need financial resources, And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. Butch, I got to get to the, uh, I got to get to the course and practice this pull away method. I've been, you know, using the pull through method, not very well. Um, but I I love listening to Jimmy describe that. And it's also very interesting to listen to him describe 
just the Kodak moment, you know, the, the, this is all just natural to him. Like right. he isn't, he's not thinking through this as he's shooting. Like this is just from practice and practice and practice and shooting and shooting and shooting. And he's just gotten to the point it's where it's a lot of shooting. He feels it, you know, but I mean, right. he, he feels it when the birds coming in based on the way that bird's flying that day. That's why you can't just say, lead them two feet. Uh, it's lead that bird two feet, maybe, but yeah. the next, next one may be different. Be faster, sure. On a sporting clays course, that would work. But I mean, I think he gave a good, that's a good technique to use on anything that's flying Agreed. to get yourself at least to where you can figure out how you're missing. Of course, yeah. the, the key to that too is just making sure that your gun's patterning correctly in the first place. Yeah, it sounds like he's done all that homework for us. It sounds like we don't have to go shoot a thousand shells through our gun and buy ten different chokes. Thank goodness. Yeah, well, nobody does it. I mean, right? You talk to the average guy and ask him if they've ever patterned their gun. It's not happening. Yeah. Nobody's no, got. I agree. Nobody's got time for that. So no. I don't yeah. even have time to go hunting. Much less go do that. No, and apparently the choke manufacturers don't do it either. Um, right. But yeah. always fun talking with Jimmy. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also by Southern Seed Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also Field Torque. The Field Torque field dressing super tool is five times faster, safer, and cleaner without replacing blades. Get yours today at fieldtorque.com. Also on Amazon and also Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.